not stopping you. This is gonna go forever. Did you hear anything back from that? Um, the agency? The, yeah. Yeah, she gave me a link to how the agency works and how to monetize the podcast, but it looks like a pyramid scheme, so I didn't reply. Which, I don't know, who cares? I just want to talk, you know, have this space and time to talk about property, anything interesting. Speaking of interesting, have you played The Stray? I have played The Stray. Uh, the Stray being the cat game. The cat game. The cat yeah. game. It's uh, very. It looks really realistic. So basically what this game is, is you get to be a cat in this open world. It looks pretty real. It looks really cool. Um, you get to run and be a cat and meow. And yeah, and it's a, it's a puzzle type of game, yep. which is really interesting. I would like to play it. Um, There's definitely lots of videos out there of guys um, buying it for their girlfriends. And then the girlfriend's sitting there and just get absolutely lost in the fact that, oh, look, I get to play as a cat now. You get to play as a cat. That's the dream come true. Um, you get your girlfriend at that game. You can go off to another room and do your own thing. You, you, you never awesome. have to be nagged again. No more dishes. <laughs> no more dishes. No more dishes. Well, that's the thing. No one's ever going to do the dishes. Well, here we are. Welcome back to another episode of Keeping Your House Warm, where we try and find you some interesting stories, talk about the property world, the New Zealand's property market to be specific. Uh, we try to make everything fun around here. So yeah, just like the, what we were talking before, we talked about The Stray, a video game about being a cat. So yeah, great start. Oh, it's a great start, eh? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess are we are we starting right into we've this? started oh, we've a long time ago. This. We're, we're into this. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess um, it's starting off with just a little bit off the off the way at the moment. Uh, yeah, um, I think entertainment in the world has finally peaked. Uh, now it's at the point where you can buy a video game where you play as a cat, pretend like a cat, and pretend yeah. you're a cat. Meow when you want to meow, and um, I think you can curl up and have naps and stuff like that. I've I've bought this for my girlfriend, and she sits there all day on my console, just sitting there meowing like a cat. Um, <laughs> so it's a good way to get her out of my hair for a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, I think we've now peaked in society. Now that we're at a point where you can buy a game where you play as a cat, and it does really well. It's got a really good score. Um, so a lot of people out there really enjoy it. It's not just some you know random little game. It's it's actually quite a well sought after, well. Um, recognized one so i think that's uh <laughs> yeah it's well polished yeah. i reckon the developers um got inspiration from this game that came out a few years ago called goat simulator and it's exactly what it sounds you get to play as a goat i think people just like the idea of playing as an animal um i think that's what sells these days i guess it's just you know you don't want to be doing you want to be like so you don't want to be a superhero you don't want to be some like mad guy going around and saving everybody's lives you want to be a cat you want to play as a cat. Everybody's dream right now, I think, is to be some animal. That just, I guess, to be something else rather than being themselves. Yeah. Just some escapism would be nice because it's cold. It's raining. Speaking of raining, I don't think it's stopped raining in Auckland for a good two weeks. And I think Christchurch or South Island is flooding, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But let's jump right into our cool topics. Um, this one, not so cool. Uh, we'll let you be the judge of this one. So this one, this article comes from News Hub, and they're trying to talk about the cost of living, more specifically for students. They're saying that they're struggling and even labeling themselves as being in the group of poverty. So already that's quite a high label. Um, students being in poverty, 
that's always been the case. I remember when I was at uni, of course, financially, I wasn't in the best situation because I had to spend all of my time trying to study. Uh, maybe I had a part-time job you know, for a year, but again, just trying to make ends beat. And that's not really the point, right? So the point is to be a student is to, yeah, try and make it through and just get finish your degree so you can earn more later down the track. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, at the moment, I guess the point of this article is that this one student in particular down in Wellington. Oh, her and she's a part of a, a association that's said a few things about yeah. I said a few things about it, right? And her in particular, though, is that, you know, she seems to be struggling on the $300 a week that she gets in student allowance because yeah. 250 of that goes to her rent. Just to uh, give you some context, the student allowance is, the $300 student allowance is free money. They don't have to pay this back. No. So the student living costs is an additional one that you can put on top. That one you have to pay back. That one you have to pay back. So this student has $300 a week of free money coming into her pocket that she doesn't have to work for, and then 250 that goes to her landlord. So then she, her case is, is that she has to live on $50 a week. The issue that I have with that, especially in her situation, is that from what it looks to be is that she's renting a studio on her own, right? So problem, like I guess solution number one here is that if you're renting a whole studio for $250 a week, but you only get 300 why are you renting a whole studio? Why do you need a whole studio to yourself? Go flatting. Move in with other people to share that cost. My cost at the moment is only 190 And that's with utilities, you know? And I'm sharing with three, four other people. Now, not everyone's going to have that luxury, sure. But, you know, if your problem is, is that majority, if not essentially all of your money that you earn has to go out in your rent, then you need to change the way you rent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she's saying that she has to struggle quite hard to live on 40, 70, you know, that remaining $50 when before the rise in living costs, you know, $40 maybe fitter for a week. And now it's 70, right? So now she's got a bit of a shortfall in her income. And to say that they are in poverty, uh, that's, again, a, such a hard label to give yourself because there are actually people out there who don't even have homes. The, the idea of a student being poor is very it's a very standard thing right because majority of their time is studying they don't have that time to accommodate a job then again if you do balance your life you can still fit in a part-time job to earn extra money um like i managed to work in two jobs plus studying a degree at university but those were each of those jobs was only 10 15 hours a week so that was like 30 hours Plus, I was still doing my full-time study on top, right? And I'm not saying that everybody should be able to do that. But you certainly, if you manage your time well, should certainly have the capacity to pick up some kind of a part-time job. And I yeah. think that's probably, that, that, that is another thing that she consider here, right? Is that she could consider picking up a part-time job. So, you know, in, in this person's case, you know, maybe they consider picking up a couple of hours a week for a part-time job. Supermarkets? tend to hire uni students for, you know, 5, 10, 15 hours a week just to work a Saturday or something like that. You know, just some extra money, right? Because it, it, it will, honestly, it will, doing those hours and not putting into your study is going to be better for your overall mental health, right? And that's another thing here is that they're pushing on is that students are not only feeling tight on money, they're also feeling very mentally drained. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of that mental drain not comes back not only to the study that they're doing, 
it's the financial hardship that they've got with it too, right? So for some people, they may not be in that capacity to pick up a job. But for those who can, that will certainly help yourself way more than sitting there and trying to struggle and make these last bucks stretch out, right? Because eating two-minute noodles every day, sure, it's cheap, not good for you, and it's not going to help your mental health. Sitting there and, you know, scrounging meal to meal is not going to be really good. And it's not going to help you study or pass your degree, right? Because the first thing you want to do is you want to finish that degree so you can go and get a, a decent paying job, yeah. right? But if you can't get through the degree, what's the point? Mm. What's the point of putting yourself into this situation? Yeah, and like you mentioned, uh, one of the biggest, uh, one of the big uh, things they wanted to raise was that they their mental health is declining so much because of rise in living costs and you know rent and not having enough time to you know, find another, you know, a part-time job, like Keelan said. Um, but I'd like to say, add to that, um, as a young adult, especially for me, I found that um, going through uni and having to be independent, it builds resilience so that you can handle the world after you've been, you know, yeah. basically babied by, say, parents or the government. Mm -hmm. Because the government has implemented a few policies already to help students. Like, um, the first year of uni is completely free. Yeah. They have raised the allowance to $300 a week. Back then with me, it was $150. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to get it because my parents earned so, too much. So yep. they've, they've raised that cap. So they're doing basically everything to try and help the students. And yet, there's still complaints. Yeah, there's to still do some more. complaints. So there's always going to be complaints wherever. But it looks like Sam, from this article, there's about 45. Hundred students who have responded to this uh, this well being issue for students. So whether it be 4,500 4, uh, softer students, uh, I come back to the whole resilience building thing. This yeah. is you know this is the time when you you know step it up so you can look after yourself. Because how are you going to look after a family if you can't look after yourself? And I'm not to say that if if this was me back in uni in this situation, I wouldn't say the same thing, right? Because I'm sure that I would love to take some free extra money into my pocket, right? But I don't like the idea of sitting there and just complaining about it and letting somebody else, you know, somebody else have to fix my problems. If I have a problem, I need to do whatever I need to do to go get it fixed because it's my problem. If I can't afford my living expenses, then I need to cut my living expenses or I need to find a way to make more money. Selling things, you know, you could always pick up side hustles. That's what they call them, side hustles. Where you legal ones. Legal ones, obviously. You know, where, you know, you, you buy things on Trade Me and then you sell them, like you fix them up and sell them. That will earn you some extra money. Part-time jobs are the really simple ones. Um, some people like mow lawns and stuff like that, do little jobs on the side. Um, there are so many other ways that you can earn extra money, but it's that you actually need to make that step and try to fix it. Because the only person who can fix your situation is you. If you're in a problem, you need to be the person who can fix it. Um, but the government has put so much into trying to help students as it is. You know, I, I still had to pay for my first year of uni. You know, that's still a lot of money that I'm not going to get back. But there's still all these other schemes and initiatives. There's still so much support the students can get. And it's entirely up to them whether or not they want to take it, right? And another thing as well, um, the international students are probably the ones that are suffering the most because I'm not sure what it's like in other countries, but in New Zealand, it's almost tripled the, the amount they have to pay for if an international student. As an example, my best mate, he married uh, someone from Canada, uh, but she's been here for the last three years, three or four years. Hmm. So yeah, she's had to do two jobs and she's 
She's completely fine. She's she you know, she's through? almost done with her counseling degree. Mm. And she's yeah. Mm, congrats to her. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she again, it's the whole stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, complaining isn't gonna fix your problems. Yeah. Action is going to fix your problems. If you have a problem or have an issue, then you need to act and do whatever you can to fix it. So yeah, unfortunately at the moment it just seems to be that obviously as the cost of living has going up, um, people are finding things tougher. Not to say that that isn't the case for the rest of us. Yeah, it's not just the students suffering, it's everyone else. Yeah, and students are just feeling it the most because their budgets are so tight, right? They're the ones that are going to feel that biggest shift because they have got so much less disposable income than the rest of anybody else who's got a full-time job. So moving on, though, um, we're just going to move on to our actually getting into some property (laughs) news. We're we're like, what, 10, 20 minutes into this? 15. 15, Doesn't matter. 15 minutes, and we're only now just getting into the property stuff. Uh, An article here by One Roof uh, where where they've just gone on, and it's just stated that we're not a nation of house flippers. Kiwis are holding on to homes longer. So obviously, I think this is kind of a no-brainer here, just looking at the way that the market is going at the moment, being that we are starting to see that things are cooling down more. So obviously, people who bought last year are not in a position to flip, because if they flip now, they are most likely going to start losing money. So the trend here has changed from people flipping when we're in a booming market to people holding when we're in a, a cooling market. So what is flipping? Flipping is simply, so there's two ways you can go about flipping. You can buy, hold, and then sell off within the next five years because five years is the maximum interest only that you can get from a bank. If you do that, you take on ownership, you sell it at the end, um, you have to pay your taxes, you have to pay um, all your agent fees, anything related to that. And then you sell it after five years of ownership. And what you'll do is, is that hopefully property would have risen in those five years. So you'll pocket the difference between when you bought it and when you sold it. And because the loan is on interest only, as you rent it out for five years, your mortgage repayments being just interest are usually quite cheap. Uh, so then what you do is, is that you, know, you pocket that difference in rent is extra income for yourself. So to some people, it is quite a good um, money-making you know, short-term money-making scheme, and then at the end they'll sell the they'll sell the property at the end of five years, buy another, do the same thing again, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, just to this make is it not clear, a suggestion, by the way. No, this is not financial advice. So the other side then to flipping that some people don't consider is that once those five years are up, you can't generally afford the property anymore, so you have to sell. If the property is still in in the bottom of its cycle, where you know the market's at its lowest point, where we're starting to see house prices dip downwards, you have to sell no matter what. So you'll end up most likely losing money on that property, right? So it's quite risky. It sounds like it does have its risks, right? Because you can't pick your time. You you have to sell at those end of five years. You can sell sooner, but you'd most likely want to hold it out for as long as possible because otherwise yeah, if you, you lose do sell rent. within five years there's a lot of tax and you to pay back right correct yeah so the the bright line test has extended out to 10 years now so no matter what most likely you're gonna to have to pay bright line tax on it you're gonna to have to say you're gonna to have to pay sales tax so there is tax involved in that as well so the tax works out to be a certain percentage of your sale price so that can be a very large chunk of change that you have to fork out every time Whereas opposed to what happens is the end of that, if you keep doing that again and again and again, you're going to reach a point where you can't afford the property, um, so you have to sell it off. So you don't have any more assets. You've just got cash. So when you go to retire and you're at a point where you can no longer 
support a mortgage, you have only got cash, right? So, and if you haven't made enough cash by the time you retire, what are you going to do? Where's your retirement plan? Yeah. Right? And so there is risks in that. So the other side to it is that if you're not flipping, you're holding. And then so with holding, you don't pay any sales tax because you're never selling the property. You are going to be paying back a mortgage. So you have got back, you know, on your principal and your interest. So you will be paying back a lot more over the full term. But then again, you are going to eventually reach a point where you own the property with no mortgage. So when you retire, you're going to have a continual stream of income, right? And if you need to do a reverse mortgage or anything like that, all those types of things that get done by the banks, you can do it because you've got something for the banks to lend against, yeah. right? Um, now, obviously, everyone's ideas about how they you know, set themselves up for retirement is different, right? Some people's is they'll just do property, they'll flip, they'll flip, they'll flip, make some cash, and that's it. But you know, uh, a lot of people's will just be to buy and hold because they'll pay back the mortgage, they'll rent it out, and then when they come to retire, they've got a house that they can use, they can live in it for their retirement, they can support their kids with it, they can give it to the kids, they have something to hand on to the next generation. Yeah, speaking of which, um, this house flipping business was actually a bit easier you know, way back since before they changed the Brightline test. I remember one of my family friends always moved around so they bought a house and they would rent out somewhere cheap while the house is being renovated, yeah. of course, up the value. But I always never, I never really understood why they kept moving until they settled at finally their house in Oraki. And man, it's, it's a massive house. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, like, how the heck did they afford this house if they kept, you know, moving okay. around? And then, you know, finally I figured it out. They were, they were <laughs> flipping the house. Yeah. And it's within like one or two years. So, yeah, obviously back then it was a lot easier. And now there's a bright line test has extended to 10 years and it's they're making it harder to I guess try and discourage people doing this. Yeah. Because they they're you know it causes because generally what happens is is that you won't do anything to the property. You'll do the bare minimum to keep that thing in shape so that when it comes to you to actually selling it, you're definitely going to be able to get your money out of the property. So there's no value added to the country. There's no new buildings being produced because you're just sitting on it and waiting for it to grow instead of you know you actually developing it and adding value in other ways. So so flipping, you know, is always done in the booming markets, but when we're in a slowing market, these people will um, try to hold on because otherwise they're going to lose out. They're going to actually be forced to sell and lose money on these. So you'll probably start to see a lot of people ending up in these um, desperate to sell situations soon because these flippers will reach the point where they're at their five years and they're going, oh, damn, I need to get out of this property. Crap, I need to get out of it just in case things go worse. And so they'll be wanting to offload it really quickly and they'll be doing everything they can to sell it and move it on because otherwise they're stuck with this liability. Yeah. And it looks like now because the market has changed, so nationwide, a lot of um, people are, are holding on to this a lot longer. Yeah. I think at the moment it's uh, in Auckland, it's around six to seven years people are holding their properties until they need to sell. Um, so it does look good in a way. So speaking of flipping or renovating, do you know the show Grand Designs? I do know the show. Great UK show. Um, always good to watch these people go through these really stressful, uh, massive builds where I never understand where they get all this money from and they're all doing like yeah. average everyday jobs. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, but at the end result, it's always amazing. So they typically the, the concept is... Uh, yeah, a, a couple. You, you or... do these builds in these impossible situations on this damp, muddy, wet sites because, you know, it's the UK. 
Um, yeah, I guess you'd get the house or the property at a, at a bargain because it's basically the skeleton of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so why we're talking about this, Keelan? Because uh, Stuff has also put on an article about uh, <laughs> they're labeling it Grand Designs UK Lighthouse Build that wrecked a marriage has finally finished, but owners won't live in it. Well, yeah, I think it might have something to do with the fact that they're now um, divorced. divorced. Yeah. Um, so Sorry, I, I shouldn't, we shouldn't laugh about this. It is, we shouldn't. It, it, it is a very serious situation. However, you know, this thing has been going on for um, quite a number of years. You know, it's been started, um, the first start was back in 2019, uh, and now being that it's 2020, uh, the build is only now just finished. And I mean, it is a monstrosity of a house. Um, there is there it's is a, huge. There is more glass here than I think I've ever seen. But, you know, I'm very, I am upset a little bit that it did end a marriage. Um, I'm wondering if I could get it at a bargain, though, because it did end a marriage, you know, just, you know, if one spouse is like super upset about it and will sell it to me for a steal just to. Do you want that kind of baggage going into the house, though? Can you imagine that? I mean, if I get it for a really good deal, yeah. I mean, it's a lighthouse and it's got an infinity pool. Um, so, you know, I mean, I can do it. I think I can see myself doing it. So I think we should talk about the price tag in itself. So uh, so it's 10 million euros. New Zealand, uh, it says here the New Zealand price would be 19.4 mil. And this obviously is our wow. That's a lot of millions <laughs> That's a lot section. Of millions. Yep. Um, it's huge. It's 19 mil. Uh, yeah. It's a big house, lots of marble, lots of solid white framework. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of glass, a lot of very expensive appliances and fixtures. Um, and it looks extremely, it looks quite remote, but still able to get into town. Like it's just sitting over its own little cliff. Um, it's got its own view yeah. straight onto the ocean. Like, I mean, you could step out and kind of fall off the cliff kind of a deal. Um, well, you, so yeah, it, it, it did used to be a lighthouse. It does have a Like three, a genuine lighthouse. Yes. Yep. It's got three acres of ground, including a private beach cove. Whew. And obviously pan, panoramic sea views. Um, but I, there's not a lot of detail about how stressful this became, but obviously stressful enough to end a marriage. End their marriage. Yep. Um, but again, the end result is spectacular. Um, it looks massive. What's that? Three, four stories um, of house. So it, it, it kind of it is just like a relatively square house, but then it's strapped onto the side of of a renovated and redone uh, lighthouse, basically. So you've got a lighthouse sticking out the front, which looks over to the ocean, and then behind it is like a giant squared off uh kind of like a fixture with all your with all your balconies and all your levels or your infinity pool um from the aerial shot it looks like a square probably five car garage but it's actually their pool house (laughs) i i don't i never understand the rich um i think i think the day that we make it rich we'll understand but as of right now i think having not just one pool having two pools Seems a little bit extreme. So this has got an infinity pool in the front and then it's got an indoor pool in the back kind of a deal. Um, but yeah, uh, this is this is a house. This is a $19.4 million house in the UK, um, which uh, ended a marriage. And I think, you know, based on the architecture and design work here, I think that probably might have caused a bit of the, uh, the stress. A lot of sharp corners. Yeah. A lot of sharp corners, a lot of levels. Um, but nice view. 
that's the end result. That's the end result. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let's anyway, move, let's move on to something a little more positive. Um, Is this positive? I'd say it's positive. I'd, it's, I'd it's, say it's a little bit quirky. Well, I mean, it's how you can get yourself a free upgrade um, oh, on a flight. Uh, now, yes, so News Hub has put out an article here uh, that flight attendants reveals all the two items you should never wear on a plane. Oh, sorry. We totally forgot to bring up, because it's travel news, it's travel news. Just travel news. New section. New, new travel section. news. Travel two news. sections in a row. Ah, oh, look at that. There we go. Oh, Are well. we sticking with... Travel news. I don't know. I think we need to get the sound of like an, uh, an airplane or yeah, something. Going, yeah, I'm still working Ooh. on it. <laughs> anyway, travel terrible, news. Terrible, terrible Carry on, Keelan. Anywho, uh, yeah, so travel news. So it looks like at the moment there's been a bit of a, you know, bit of a conversation between some flight uh, flight attendants and uh, News Hub here. They've talked about, you know, what you should surprisingly wear if you want to get a free upgrade. Um, so apparently, for, for starters, for clothing-wise, you should never wear jeans, joggers, and dirty trainers. You should actually kind of look like business casual. Semi-professional. Yeah, semi-professional if you want an upgrade, which I don't understand. I can't wrap my head around why that is what gets you an upgrade. Like it's Well, I guess it's the attire. So if you want to dress professional and clean, they would. So first of all, it's not a guaranteed upgrade. Oh, it's, heck no. This is, this, no. Is not the, this is not the cheat sheet to getting upgraded to first class. That's, it's, the most, it's the most common look you can uh, that they've found will get will you get the upgrade. an upgrade. So now, yeah, I guess they do want that type of look or person um, to be upgraded. Because if you are wearing, you know, sweatpants, and you're in an economy and expecting an upgrade to the business class. I'm not sure if that's going to go down unless you're like a rapper with, you know, gold chains and you're obviously rich. Yeah, then you would have paid for first class anyway. Yeah, you would have done that. Well, I mean, that explains why I never got an upgrade because I always rock my jeans. So, so jeans and sweaty, um, you know, sweatshirts, hoodies, that kind of stuff won't get you the upgrades most likely. No, but so, at least you'd be comfortable. Oh, at least they'd be comfortable. Oh, yeah, especially if you're going to stick me on like a eight, 10 hour flight, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be dressed as comfortably as possible. So, yeah, so um, dress business casual, smart, you know, that, that will more likely get you a free upgrade. So, you know, wear those, um, those shined up black shoes. Uh, girls, wear your heels. Um, heels on a plane. Heels on a plane. But uh, don't wear short skirts. Wear long skirts. Um, so the, another point that they're leading into here is more about the hygiene on the plane. Oh, yes. um, so, you know, if you want the upgrade, dress smart but understated. But, you know, for hygiene reasons, try to wear something long to get on the plane. Um, so because the way that these cabins are cleaned, even in the case of COVID, sometimes things get missed. Mm. They, they only have quick turnarounds before they turn around and usually head off on another flight. So they never get fully cleaned. Yeah. So speaking of hygiene, there is another quote here that says, try not to fall asleep and lean your head on the window. Because as you know, as easy as it is to do that, or if you're in the middle seat, you know, your, your fear is to not fall asleep and lean your head on someone else's shoulder. But of course, everyone wants their window seat. And if that's the case, you're on the window seat, you fall asleep and you, you find your head on the window. You don't know how many heads have been on that window. Honestly, I actually, I, I did find this one out a couple of years ago and I have started carrying sanitary wipes with me just to wipe down the window before I lay my head on anything like that. Just for the sake that, yeah, I never had thought about it before is, yeah, actually how many people have touched and what has been on this window 
before I got in here. Um, and it's the same as the way you shouldn't wear shorts or anything, is that you just don't know what's going on in the seats. You just don't know what's going on around you. It's best to wear something long. Uh, covered shoes is the same. Uh, it's just Oh, I totally take my shoes off on a long-ass flight. Taking your shoes off. Like, keep my socks Like, on. keep your socks on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barefoot on a plane. Gross. No, not good. And it's just not pleasant for everyone else as well. Be, you got to yeah. be a bit respectful. Everybody yeah. crammed and in. We're, we're not trying to turn you off. Flights, you know. Everyone no, likes. no, please do. Keep flying. <laughs> everyone keep loves holidays. Keep, keeps the economy going. But I guess this is just a commentary on um, how you can possibly make your make your flight a little bit more comfortable yeah, and just like sanitary. Getting, you're getting sick, you know, after the flight. You know, you, when you come back, sometimes you catch the flu right after you've been on the plane. Probably had something to do with one of these points that we yeah, just Yeah, well, discussed. a lot of people I know so far that have taken on flight, like my dad, for example, he went home to the Philippines, came back, and he had COVID. And another person I knew went to Queenstown, came back, and had COVID. So it is very, you're, you are stuck in a capsule full of people and the and bacteria you, and the and breath you never and know everything else goes around. Done. Yeah. So just be safe, be sanitary. And if you feel like napping on the window, maybe carry some sanitary wipes with you before you get on the plane. So I'm just. Or doing, your own pillow. Or your own. Nah, even that because then the pillows touch uh, it. Pillows touch it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, so I, the, I guess the rule of dress here is, you know, dress shoes, nice trousers, button down, also a bag of sanitary wipes. That's but that's completely up to you. I honestly do not care about getting an upgrade. I would love one, but if I'm going, you know, if I'm going to a third, yeah, a tropical country, I'm still not going to dress business casual if I'm going to end up on the beach. Well, it's just about getting the upgrade. Once you're on the plane, you can change back into your sweats, carry a change of clothes, check them out. Double standards. Double standards. Double standards. That was actually pretty good travel news. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so I think we'll get on to our next point here, though, which is about um, the weather in New Zealand. Um, yeah, we did mention it before. It has been raining quite a bit. New Zealand is sort of under the pump with, um, I'm not sure if they've called or named it the storm yet. It does feel like a storm. Um, there are a few trees that have fallen down all over Auckland, but Christchurch and the South Island have flooded and it doesn't look good for a lot of homes. Yeah, looks like a lot of severe flooding at the moment. Uh, looks to be a lot of people walking out in gumboots. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like this isn't going to lay up for it, uh, like lighten up anytime soon. Uh, so it looks like we might be stuck with this for the next wee while. Uh, so for, for New Zealand, um, I guess another point that brings it on to is just in property relation, I would like to bring this back to the point about checking limb reports. So limb reports are land information memorandums. Anytime you go to buy a home in Auckland, you should definitely look at one. Um, now, what this shows is the possibility of flooding. So in these types of situations where you know we have these heavy downpours, um, flooding is certainly possible. But what these reports show is that the limb reports, they actually show how likely that your home is to actually flood. So, you know, a lot of these homes here that get have been mentioned in the article, like some down in, in Christchurch, um, some other ones down in Canterbury, you know, these homes here would show up on a report like that as being likely to flood. And so for a homeowner, that, that should be something that you should really, really monitor and look and make sure, is my home likely to flood? Because, you know, being if it's in a gully, it will flood because the water's going to pull up down right in the middle of your house. Um, if you're on top of a hill, that's going to be fine. Water's going to flow downwards. 
But a lot of people don't actually read those reports. They don't actually have a look at them and go, oh, what does this mean? What does it mean? I've got a one in a hundred chance of flooding. That, that's a house you should avoid because that house is going to fall apart faster than you can say fall flooding, apart. fall apart. Yeah. So, you know, flooding is a big part. And sometimes insurers won't actually cover a house. Well, that's actually my next question in terms of insurance. Yeah. Some insurers, if they know the house is likely to flood, like highly likely to flood, they just won't cover it because they know it's going to happen over the next lifetime. So why insure it for that when they won't make any money? They'll just say, they'll give you an exclusion, which is when they say they won't cover you for something. And they'll say, we won't cover your house for flooding. Is there a workaround? Like, are there other... You would have to try another insurer, but... If they've got the same information, they're not going to cover you. And eventually, you're going to be in a situation where if your house floods, how are you going to afford to repair it? Um, And flooding can be very detrimental to your house. It can be what keeps your house standing or means that it has to get bulldozed. And if you've just taken out a mortgage, how on earth are you going to repay it? Uh, This is just another one of those unfortunate things um, when it comes to the different seasons. You know, um, flood zones are really important to look at and... um, yeah, I mean, for, for example, where I live now, I'm renting a unit. Um, if, you know, the driveway floods when it when it pours. Luckily, it doesn't reach the house, inside the house. But, you know, my landlords did offer to sell it to us at one stage. And as soon as I looked at the, the geo maps on Auckland Council, it, I saw the whole area was likely to flood. Likely to flood. So yeah. hard pause on that, uh, <laughs> yeah. on that offer. Mm. And you should definitely... Take every time you see a property that you should definitely take your time and consider is this property right for me? Because um, even if you decide to build on those properties again in the future, you know, say you decided to go out and go build another house for family to live on or for you know somebody to rent off you, you're gonna have to meet council standards for flooding in that area, which generally means extra thick concrete. And then uh, special insulation as well, which is going to add on to your costs a lot. So, you know, why why have to spend more money than you have to? Um, but for people who just want their first home, check and see if your property is on a floodplain and see what you can do to stop that happening. Because otherwise, next thing you know, everything that you own is destroyed by flooding. So next question for me, uh, for you then, mm. um, if you are buying a turnkey, would the developer disclose that type of information? No, no purchaser, uh, sorry, no seller has to disclose if it's on a floodplain. Right, it's so not, you really have to do your own research. You do, and it's a part of your due diligence to make sure that you know what's going on with the property. They don't have to tell you anything. They will know if they have to build the house to flooding standards, but they won't, they don't have to tell you. So the only way you can check that is through the LIM report or looking on Auckland Council. Uh, if you're in Auckland, every council has got its own form of geomapping to some extent, so you will need to search your own area. But for developers, they don't have to tell you if the house is likely to flood. They just need to build it. And if it meets council compliance, then that's fine. But just because it meets council compliance doesn't mean that it's safe. It doesn't mean that it won't flood. It just means that they've done the bare minimum for the council to allow it to be built. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bit of a downer there, but it's no, more of it's a bit, bit, bit of for your, you know, FYI, for your information, check on the flooding, make sure your house isn't going to be underwater and, um, you know, you'll be swimming with the fish soon. But yeah, Keelan, let's bring it back up to one of our quirky 
quirky house cottages. Yes, one of the another one from Wellington. This um, yeah, Wellington this, seems to love it. Don't yeah, they? The quirky they, they have house some interesting system. stuff. They've got some weird houses down there. <laughs> Weird in a good way. Weird in a good way. Yeah. Fun so way. this is cottage um, on Seaton Waterfront, again in Wellington, and it's sort of sandwiched between two houses, and it's a 1920s a character cottage. It's obviously a waterfront uh, property. It looks really cool and quirky inside, and if you still want that Kiwi dream of owning a batch, this could be something cool. I'm not sure if it is for sale. But it, it's just featured on this article um, from Stuff. But what's interesting about this is its boundary line. So the boundary line means um, it's what's included within the property. Well, I mean, what's your what's your land, right? It's, yeah, it's what, what you own. What you actually are buying, yeah. right? So it's not only just the, the flat area that the house looks to be sitting on and up to the driveway in front of it. It's actually all the way up the cliffside as well. So you've got this massive extent of cliff that runs right up behind the house yeah. and the, you would be purchasing all of that land all the way back up. Yeah, and because the boundary line goes all the way to the top of this cliff, which again sits behind this cottage, they have drawn up some concepts for a cliff top dwelling. Yeah, so usually, you know, the house sits on top of the cliff with the cliff at the end going straight down, but this one here is actually sunk into the cliff. Yeah, it looks cool. It, it is certainly a very interesting design. Um, I'm not sure how you would necessarily get to the house. I don't know if you would have to drive up well it looks like there's already some houses up on that cliff but to get to that specific point where mm. your boundary sits it looks it looks very hard to get there it looks like it would be you would definitely need a four by four a four four wheel drive to get up there probably need a few uh, permissions from the council as well yes especially to build something like this so i think much like you know a lot of these um grand design uk houses which are you know take advantage of whatever situation the house is in this is one of those ones where it's like, if you can make it work, it would be a really cool one-of-a-kind house. Oh, heck yeah. But uh, in order to do that, I think it would be a very difficult time. The, the view that it has is really nice. It has an absolutely brilliant view. Um, the home itself, like the existing cottage, is really lovely. Mm. Um, Two-bedroom cottage. Yeah, it's, it's a little on the small side, being for a cottage, um, obviously. But, you know, if you design it, if, if the builder is able to make the land work, it looks like you would have this house which basically just goes straight out over the cliff um, where almost the entire build is just hanging over the edge. So I don't know me personally if I would be able to comfortably live in that kind of a house where most of it is actually just hanging off the edge over a cliff. Um, I feel like I might end up just it just might end up giving way and it just slide right down. But, you know, the, the designs... Right. You could have an elevator from the cottage to the modern uh, overlook. Oh, I'm thinking you get one of those um, gondolas. I just installed a mini gondola. Yeah. I'm sure the council would love to approve that. Or a zipline. Zip yeah, how do you down. get back up, though? That's where the gondola comes in. So you've gone Or an elevator into the cliff. Yeah, see, I could see that. You could have some really creative Yeah, see, things. we're getting away from with that. <laughs> but, we're you know, for somebody out there who has got quite a lot of money, um, because this would definitely be an expensive build, um, who is looking for a real challenge, this is the type of property for you. Because mm. even the, the existing little cottage, you know, is really cute. It sits between two relatively big houses. It's quite small on its own. Um, but if you could find a way to get that build to work up the top, you know, you'd have an even more amazing view overlooking this massive bay. Yeah. 
And I've just looked it up and it looks like it is for sale to be sold by Tender. And it closes on the 10th of August. So if you want to have a look, if you live in the Wellington region or if you've got millions to splash, uh, look up um, the address. It's 197 Marine Parade, Seaton, Wellington. So have a go. It's got fiber. So cool. Oh, that's good to know. It's a waterfront. Um, it's a waterfront home, and yeah, you do have the potential of having an overhang type of dwelling above this cliff if you can figure out how to actually yeah. build it. No, yeah, um, it looks like an amazing home. Uh, it looks like a, a one of a kind experience if you can build it. I personally could not see myself stepping into that house. I think it's scary, too far over the edge for me. Um, but yeah, I think that brings us to the end of today, actually. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of all of our, our topics for this evening. Yeah, we've done everything. We've done the millions. We've done the travel news. We've done something quirky. We've had fun today. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope you guys have had a bit of fun as well if you're listening to us on the drive home. Um, so speaking of which, what are you doing for the weekend, Kieran? Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I think this weekend I will be heading out. I think uh, my partner and I have got a two-year anniversary. Oh. So I'm going to try and see if we can get out in the middle of all this weather for a day. Um, try and see if we can get out. Otherwise, um, I need to do something drastic. I need to come up with an emergency inside plan because uh, all my plans at the moment are all outside based. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and doesn't look like the rain is going to let up anytime no, soon. No, not likely. Yeah, I'd probably just stay home, honestly. Just take it easy. Yeah. Rest it up. Uh, yeah, and I hope you guys also keep warm. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if, if you do have any feedback or would like to give us a question or any any comments, uh, you can email us at keepingyourhousewarm at finax.co.nz. That's F-I-N-E-X .co.nz. In the meantime, have a good week, have everyone. Have a good week, guys. Yeah, see you later. Cheers. Bye.